You're in the water loop. Waterloop is made possible in part by grants from Springpoint Partners and the Walton Family Foundation. Hi, this is Travis with Waterloop. Right now, more than half of the United States is in some form of drought. It's not just out west. It's up in the Pacific Northwest. It's in the upper Midwest. There's drought in New England, and there's even dry conditions here in North Carolina where I live. Almost 80 million people live in some part of the country where there's drought. During times like this, every drop really does count. Showerheads are an easy way to conserve water in our homes. That's why I use High Sierra Showerheads at my house, and I'm really proud that they're a sponsor of this podcast. They carry the EPA WaterSense label for water efficiency and use 40% less water than conventional low-flow showerheads. They use just a gallon and a half a minute. So what does that come out to? For every minute you're in the shower, you're saving one gallon of water. You take a 10-minute shower, that's 10 gallons of water you have not used because you have high Sierra shower heads. Over the course of a month, that's 300 gallons of water that have been conserved. You're going to also save on your water bill and your energy bill. You can get 20% off using promo code LOOP20 at HighSierraShowerHeads.com. You're in the water loop. Welcome to Waterloop. This is Travis. Very excited to have an episode focused on beer, one of my absolute favorite topics. Joined by Katie Wallace from New Belgium Brewing, where she is the Director of Social and Environmental Impact. Katie, thanks for coming back on the podcast. You're one of my early guests. It's so good to see you again, Travis. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, absolutely. So we've got a lot of stuff to talk about around, you know, the around climate change and maybe what climate change would taste like when it comes to beer. Um, so you all uh, were kind enough to send me uh, this fat tire, fat tire version, torched earth. Um, and I set to put on my glasses. I want to read the description here and you can tell me more about it. So it says we brewed the future of beer in a looming climate crisis with smoky notes from wildfire tainted water supply, drought resistant grains like buckwheat and millet uh, and bittering essence of readily available dandelion. This might be what we have to look forward to. So I'm going to pour this here and taste it. Um, maybe you can just start explaining, uh, how you guys came up with the idea for this. Sure. Uh, well, we, f for many years, New Belgium has been uh, keeping an eye on climate change. We were the first to ever commission a carbon footprint study for beer and, um, and have been committed to reducing our impact for quite a while. And, and as a part of that, we also review annually the risks to our supply chain. Um, so we see climate change as a big business threat. And uh, we, we do, we glance at that annually just to understand what we're looking at, and what we might need to plan around as climate change progresses. And, um, you know, we have had things like barley sprouting on the field and being rendered useless for, for brewing uh, because it's too warm and wet at the end of harvest season. We've had droughts, um, smoke taint and um and issues even like hurricanes decimating fruit crops. And we use uh, fruit for some of our beers and we've had some pretty close calls with that. So every year we we check in on uh, the threats to our supply chain and the, the instances are just 
growing in frequency and, and, and severity. So we're quite concerned about what that means for the future of beer. So uh, for example, just last week, we got a quality report from our barley crop for 2021. And with the unprecedented and lasting heat waves, uh, we actually are going to see a reduced quality of barley uh, and potentially reduced availability of barley for brewing um, mm. through this harvest season. Uh, we have... Um, we had the largest wildfire in Colorado's history right here in our watershed along the Poudre River. This is actually a sample of the water um, that came from the river last week with the sediment and runoff. Um, and so we're not, our utility is actually not able to pull the, the water from that river. So we are um, maximizing the use of our contingency source as well right now. Um, so hops last year in the wildfire um, were damaged because that delicate flower um, had too much smoke taint from the, the fires up in the Northwest. Mm. Um, so we're just starting to see some of these things that have been predicted for quite a while, but they're coming to fruition and, um, and causing quite a bit of concern. And, and I think to many of us, if we don't see it, it's hard to believe it. And we felt that through beer, we had the opportunity to just kind of, um, you know, emulate what is expected to happen as these events grow more severe and frequent, um, as climate change worsens, and we wanted to, you know, give something, give people something they could touch and feel that would um, give a taste of what climate change would be like if if we don't tend to it quickly and aggressively. Yeah, no, absolutely, and you know, there's there's been all this drought that's happened. California was hit hard a bunch of years ago. They're being hit hard again. The whole Colorado River Basin is in a bad way, just shortages declared for the first time ever that's going to result in cutbacks down in those those other states. So uh, definitely feeling the stress. So um, yeah, the, the, the fat tire torched earth. Um, I didn't expect this to taste good. So I'm going to I'm going to try it now. Uh, that wasn't the intent was to make a good tasting beer. No, right? this is, yeah. This is to send a it's lesson. a strange thing to like ask our yeah. brewers, can you please make the beer that's supposed to be bad of the future? Yeah, so there's a color, a little brownish there. Interesting. Yeah, it's not the best beer. <laughs> um, um, how about that aftertaste? That's the thing. That yeah, that's me. lingering. Totally. I'm going to, I'm, I have not tasted a beer like this, of course. So I'm like struggling to find the words to explain what it tastes like, but you definitely have, it's kind of off in every way, right? Um, yeah. The, the grains that you all used, uh, to make it are not typical, right? Buckwheat and millet. That's not happening. Dandelion, um, and the starchiness that, that definitely jumps out too. Um, mm -hmm. And buckwheat, I, I should say, like buckwheat and millet, they can they can make really interesting drinks. It's just not okay. going to be the fat tire and the ones that you're used to aren't made with buckwheat and millet, you know. And and so, um, okay. you know, barley barley would be a tough one to preserve, especially as um, mm. other crops push north. I, I've seen tons of media coverage and social media churn on this beer, you know, got lots of great attention. Um, obviously that's what you all were going for. How would you, how yeah. would you say that, how would you say the reaction has gone? Yeah. Um, it's, it's taken off. I think, um, recently someone kind of, um, asked if this was just a PR stunt and we're like, <laughs> yes, it is a PR stunt. <laughs> we are hoping to, uh, to gain more attention, uh, around the impacts of climate change. And of course, beer is the least of our worries, but uh, because that's something that we have to play with and help demonstrate um, the consequences of inaction through, then um, we for sure meant for it to be a PR stunt that draws attention to the need to address climate action. 
Um, and, you know, behind the scenes, you know, it's worth saying that it's not only a PR stunt. You know, mm-hmm. we are committed to science-based targets initiative. We are, we launched the first carbon neutral certified beer. You know, there's, we, we fund barley breeding to, to improve the resiliency of barley. And, you know, so there's, there's a number of things that we do um, that are on a deeper action um, from a, you know, that are driving action and not just a PR stunt, but this is something we could add to the mix of, of our projects that helps to increase awareness. Yeah. Uh, you told me I did something wrong though. And I put this in the fridge before trying it. And you said that it was meant to drink warm. Could you explain that? <laughs> well, it's possible that you'd be drinking warm beer in the future, right? Because um, we've seen power outages through extreme heat waves and through extreme uh, bouts of cold throughout the winter. Um, we've also, um, you're seeing concerns of hydropower failing as the droughts continue. And, and as you mentioned, there are uh, restrictions on the Colorado River and, and the uh, lower basin. You're going to see that affecting things like the Hoover Dam and, um, and other energy sources. So energy is... is um, not going to be readily available with the number of climate disasters that are impending if we don't take action now. Hmm. Yeah. And then I noticed you all had an interesting price point. This wasn't meant for like big distribution. I think you just had it at like your two breweries and maybe someplace else or an event or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, could you talk about, about the pricing you put on it? Well, we, yes, we didn't brew a lot of this beer. We don't want to brew a lot of a beer that is bad and that no one wants to drink when we can, you know, <laughs> make use the same resources to make perfectly good beer. But we just wanted to, you know, make a statement with it and have some people be able to try it. But yes, I think um, something we've talked about in the past is that we expect a six pack could cost as much as a hundred dollars in the future. Um, and I don't know about you, but that means I wouldn't be buying beer at a hundred dollars a six pack. Um, and and that is um, due to the number of. Um, risks there are to our water sources, to our supply chains in general, and to the distribution and cooling of the beer um, due to um, disruptions in energy delivery. So yes, we think that uh, if if a number of those uh, disasters coincided, uh, you'd be looking at shortages in barley supplies, um, higher expense for energy and fuel, and potentially um, an an inability to access uh, primary water sources. And that would all of those things would increase the, the price of of the beer. Yeah. Man, I thought like the, the twenty dollar four packs was starting to get up there for me, you know, and, and now it's yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's great stuff. It's it's funny, like I I don't want to waste beer, right? Beer's a, a wonderful <laughs> a wonderful gift, but I'm like, I don't know if I'm gonna finish this one all the way here. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I, that's kind of like the problem, right? This is like the worst case scenario beer that it could is. be out there. Um, but then I wanted to bring in another one of the the beers that you all sent me. And that's your, you know, your classic, iconic fat tire. Um, and it is the world's first carbon neutral certified beer. So this is like, hey, this is the direction we need to go to avoid having torched earth. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Could you, could you talk about this? I'm going to open one of these just to kind of to get the better taste going here, but what, what was the idea and how'd you get to this status for this beer? Yeah. Thanks Travis. Um, it's actually um, the first carbon neutral certified beer in North America. Okay. There are a, f- a few other carbon neutral certified beers across the world. Um, there are other countries um, that 
unlike the United States, have um, federal carbon neutral certification standards. And, um, and I hope that the U.S. can get there one day because it really helps, helps to unlock a lot of market potential. Um, but, uh, but we were able to learn from, from some of our friends across the globe on how they got there and, um, and then be able to launch the first carbon neutral certified beer in, in North America. Um, we, we came to this conclusion for a few reasons. Um, one, we, while we've been reducing our emissions over time, we are just a small company and we can't uh, change our entire supply chains and the systems on which we depend upon um, to make and deliver our beer. And so um, we just know that we need to take action faster as we're seeing the impacts of climate change accelerate faster than anyone expected. We felt the need to accelerate our um our action on climate. And so uh, the investment of carbon offsets um, helps us to uh, offset some of the emissions that we're not able to directly deal with at this time. And, um, and, I, and I think that there is quite a bit of debate around the efficacy of, of carbon offsets and, and in some cases, the integrity of them. So that could be an entire episode on its <laughs> own. Um, I've learned far more about that than I ever knew possible um, in the last few years. But uh, you know, when it's tough when you're talking about how much carbon you sequester and hold into the soil through a forest or through agriculture, et cetera, um, it's really tough to measure that acre by acre or even square foot by square foot as it varies. Um, and so, um, so there's a, you know, one of the things we've been a little bit wary of offsets in the past, but, uh, one of the things that actually made them more viable and exciting for us was the, the advent of the satellite technology, the drone technology, and um, various um, you know, digital advancements that help us to ensure that the carbon is actually being sequestered into the soil. So those are the types of programs that we support, um, high standards of verification, that they're really um, demonstrating that these are additional sequestration, of, it, it provides an additional sequestration of CO2 um, and, and has a meaningful impact. All of our offset projects um, meet the PAS 2060 guidelines, they're global guidelines for the quality of, of offsets. Um, but also the ones we invest in, our hope is, is that they have a long-term uh, transformative benefit. Um, for example, Indigo Agriculture just launched um, last year an agricultural-based carbon offset uh, that is helping to fund growers to transition to regenerative farming practices. Um, and they have they verify that through satellite technology and soil sampling and, um, and a number of other assurances. Um, but it is the very first agricultural offset that was uh, approved through the PAS 2060 um, guidelines. And so we're very excited about um, being able to fund this opportunity that helps to uh, drive revenue to rural economies and help our barley growers um, get a little cash to make that transition in their growing practices towards a more um, resilient and um, climate-friendly farming. Yeah. Well, I'd, I'll say that definitely that the, the, the carbon neutral fat tire here tastes better than the torched earth, significantly better. Okay. So, yeah, yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> well, that's let's hope out. we can... <laughs> keeps the fat tire flowing. And, um, and, you know, I think, I think that uh, one of the important things to say on this, another reason why we did that is because there's a lot of consumer demand for it right now. And so mm. um, we actually did some research um, through Nielsen and, and it showed that um, more than we looked at beer drinkers and how important it was to them that a beer was certified carbon neutral. Um, and about 74% of them, 
uh, before even hearing the definition of carbon neutral certification, thought it was important. And once they heard the definition of carbon neutral certification, 86% of them um, thought it was important. So if we really look at like, you know, satisfying the consumer and looking at the long, the lasting demand, um, there really is a strong demand uh, for, for that from consumers, which actually um, helped us to tap into the marketing budget for some of the cost of our offsets mm. and carbon neutral certification, which, you know, just it's wonderful when you can find those other business synergies to do the right thing, but it's also what the customers want. And, um, and I think, you know, you've been doing this work for a long time. And um, it's kind of a shock to look at numbers like that because just it wasn't too long ago that that wasn't as high of a priority for consumers. But I think people are experiencing the impacts of climate change now through these extreme events and and through some of the science that's getting through to the to the public. And so um, so there, you know, I think that that's worth mentioning if you have other business leaders that are on listening to the to the podcast and really knowing that there's a, a strong consumer demand for this type this level of action. Uh, I, I love the consumer demand helping to drive things. So while the torched earth was a bit of a PR stunt, this this carbon neutral was like the real deal here, the, the actions you're taking. I was reading on your website that you all are, are aiming to kind of have all your beers be carbon neutral by 2030. You know, definitely ambitious, yes. but awesome. Um, what are the big steps you're going to have to take to get to that? I mean, you're going to have to figure out some of that along the way, I guess. But um, yeah, what's the path ahead? Well, it's probably worth articulating that through our certification, um, it's not just enough to only buy offsets uh, in, in perpetuity. Uh, we actually need to make a measurable reduction on our actual absolute emissions over time. So, um, so we are both committed to all of our beers being carbon neutral certified by 2030, but we're also committed to the science-based targets initiative um, of making drastic reductions in our absolute emissions um, to limit warming to that 1.5 degree Celsius. And so um, with science-based targets that we're you know, publicly committed to, we have to reduce our operational uh, greenhouse gas emissions by 55% from 2019 to 2030. Um, so over time, we'll be reducing our reliance on offsets and, um, and, and uh, investing in more renewable energy on site, more, uh, more, community renewable energy, community solar fields, et cetera. Um, we are looking at uh, solutions again for barley farming and um, fund it. we fund uh, barley breeding research so that we can uh, move towards barley varieties that are less impactful on the climate and also uh, preserve soil health and increase the resilience of barley uh, throughout uh, increases in climate change. Um, and uh, trying to also drive more recycled content. We helped to found the Glass Recycling Coalition, and that can help to drastically reduce um, greenhouse gas emissions. Um, hmm. We, uh, in addition to that, I think, you know, all of our carbon offsets, like we mentioned, we're hopeful that they'll help us to transition overall. We also, for example, some of the offsets we buy help um, to accelerate HFC phase out for refrigerants, and hmm. which is, is one of our sources of emissions because beer is refrigerated and, uh, Project Drawdown identifies refrigerant um, transition HFC phase out as the number one opportunity to reduce emissions across the world. So our hands are in all the pots <laughs> of, of the areas that um, beer specifically contributes to. And we're hopeful that uh, through our own operational investments and also our supply chain um, initiatives that we can help to um, take a transformative approach towards uh, the entire supply chain for beer over time. Um, and I, I will say to the, you know, um, we are a medium sized company and 
Um, we only have a medium-sized impact. And if just a handful of companies are really taking this seriously, there is no way that we will address climate change at, at the pace that is required to avoid catastrophic impacts. And so uh, we are very active in policy advocacy. Um, we are on um, the advisory council for America is all in. Um, we support uh, uh, carbon pricing mechanisms and um, and just an overall look at how our local, state, and federal government can help to coordinate uh, collective action. Currently, today, um, of the, the top 500 companies across the world, only 30% of them have a meaningful climate plan. And, um, and we're just not going to get there with some, without some level of broader coordination. And, um, and so one of the reasons we get really involved in policy advocacy is, is uh, because that can help us more efficiently drive towards climate resilience. And um, we've done this many times throughout our history in the United States as we faced world wars, uh, the Great Depression, uh, droughts and dust bowls. We actually uh, instituted as a nation um, incentives like agricultural subsidies, subsidies, even oil and gas subsidies, um, because at the time that was the right mechanism to help uh, protect our shared prosperity. But, but you know, a hundred years later, things are much different. Our circumstances are different and um, incentivizing oil and gas extraction might not be the right solution to help protect our shared prosperity. So we are big fans of, um, of companies doing much more and also a federal action to help coordinate um, and hold everyone accountable to take action so that we can protect our shared resilience and prosperity for a long time to come. It is a very American thing for us to do. Um, and so for example, um, we, we lobbied our city council here to um, advance our grid to 100% renewable electricity. They have committed to that by 2030. So that's going to make um, it more efficient for all of us to move in that direction. And we're really hopeful that some of the investments coming through the stimulus bills and reconciliation plans um, will will actually, our budget reconciliation will actually help to um, bring the United States into the future So that, uh, as a leader uh, in a uh, in a global uh, economy that is really challenged by climate change. And so um, we'd like to, to keep the U.S. in that leadership spot. And so we, we advocate quite heavily for um, that level of coordination. We just launched our carbon neutral toolkit for brewers, um, where we put our you know, 30 years of, of knowledge into um, a carbon neutral journey um, into a document. And uh, you can check that out at drinksustainably.com. And, uh, and also learn a little bit more about our carbon neutral work in general. But our hope is with this toolkit, we can just help uh, the entire industry accelerate our action on climate and help to protect good beer for many generations to come. Well, I wanted to kind of pivot a little bit because the biggest ingredient in beer is water. Um, and water is where these climate impacts are almost really hitting first, if you will, right? Droughts and storms mm -hmm. and whatever it might be. Um, and I just, I talked to you all about water the first time we had a, had a conversation together. And I just wanted to kind of hear what's going on on the, the water side of things, you know, what you guys are trying to do or, or what you see the beer industry trying to do for like the next leap forward on water stewardship. Sure. Um, so, so of course, water efficiency measures throughout the brewery are critical. Um, it's much harder for craft beer when you have a lot of hops and mm. um, different ingredients. You know, there's just a lot of water as a process uh, aid, you know, if you will, um, throughout uh, delivering and integrating all the many ingredients and the things that 
craft beer lovers enjoy, you know, all, all that flavor. Yeah. And so, um, so it's tougher to make, um, it, you know, oftentimes requires more water for those, but, um, which but is, we have which a is of- interesting. It's interesting that the beer that tastes less, just like water requires more water to get more yeah. flavor into it. Yeah. Yeah. But there's definitely advancements that that we have made and that can be made, and so we there's a fair amount of um, re- process water reuse throughout our brewery. So uh, we actually capture the water um, from the internal rinse of our bottles when it's cleaning when you're cleaning out brand new bottles in case there's a speck of dust. Um, you rinse it out the inside of the bottle. We capture that um, here in New Belgium, and we um, use that then for the external rinse to wash the bottle off once it's been capped. Um, it's pretty much clean at that point still, and so it's it's perfect for that dual use. Um, that saves us um, close to two million gallons of water a year. Um, on our front lawn, we installed artificial turf because it's high traffic, and um, and that saves us uh, about three hundred and fifty thousand gallons of water a year. It was um, we move to dry lubricant on our bottling lines. And so that saves uh, about one and a half millions of gallons gallons of water a year. And um, so there are lots of things that you can do inside the brewery to drive efficiency. Even with um, hoppier beers, uh, there are process improvements you can make um, putting in new equipment that can help to um, minimize the water loss throughout that. Um, um, You know, I think that we also uh, do a fair amount of investing in our local watershed to help to protect the uh, viability of of our water supplies. Um, I would encourage any brewer to check out World Resource Institute's aqueduct tool and just get an assessment of your water risk. It will actually let you know, is there a supply issue through drought uh, that will worsen throughout climate change? Uh, They'll let you know, is there a water quality issue like algal blooms that we're looking at in some areas, right, that um, where there's less water flow and higher temperatures. Um, And they'll also tell you, you know, is there some type of political issue uh, Mm -hmm. that could put your water source at risk? So it's a great report um, that can get very specific to your watershed. And, um, and just kind of identifying the water risk to begin with is really important and then developing the right strategy for that area. Um, I think that there's some really interesting work um, for water storage happening in the Colorado area um, where they're actually um, treating water and putting it back in a reservoir, letting it go through the natural cycle to become clean again, and then um, putting it back into the water system. That already happens in um, a few cities south of us and throughout multiple cities in the United States. Um, and so, so definitely, you know, some solutions on better managing water in general. But um, as a part of protecting water, we have to address climate change because, like you said, there's so many events uh, that are water related, whether it's a, a giant storm, flooding, uh, drought, etc., um, that are causing, that are wreaking this havoc that all of us will have to contend with, and um, and the warming temperatures again causing water pollution and algal blooms that actually are poisonous. And so, um, so there's, there's definitely a number of issues that are water related and climate related. And one of the best things we can do to preserve our water supplies, in addition to driving efficiency is going to be addressing climate change. Yeah, absolutely. And even like you mentioned, wildfires, then polluting water (laughs) supplies and rivers and everything like that. So incredible. Well, uh, Katie, it was awesome to catch up with you again. I appreciate you guys uh, shipping me some beer. It's always an awesome uh, box to get on your doorstep. Um, I'm glad I got to taste the the torched earth. I know I heard from a lot of my friends and colleagues, like, you got to tell me what that tastes like. Um, And so I can report back now that it does not taste good the future if we uh, the future of beer with climate change is not good so got to take action Um, but yeah thank you so much 
Thanks for having me, Travis. Thanks for all you're doing and, and your listeners are doing to learn more about these issues and spread the word. And um, I think together with some collective action, uh, we have a fighting chance. So absolutely. Absolutely. Look forward to sharing gears in person one of these days when, when we know. can get back to that too. It, it, hopefully it's coming. All right. Good deal. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, Travis. Thanks, everyone, for listening to today's episode. A special thanks to Waterloop supporters, Springpoint Partners, and the Walton Family Foundation. The Waterloop Podcast is sponsored by High Sierra Showerheads, the smart, stylish way to save energy, water, and money while enjoying a powerful shower. Use promo code LOOP20 for 20% off at HighSierraShowerheads.com. If you like Waterloop, Please subscribe to the YouTube channel or your favorite podcast platform. Follow us on social media and visit waterloop.org to sign up for updates.